0: Money Show.
1: Small Business. We all need to do more with less. That was the message from the finance minister in Atlanta Nene yesterday. Many in government will be wondering how they'll be able to cope with the real world of being an entrepreneur. People are doing it all the time, doing more with less. And now, finance minister of the Money Show, Pavlo Fatidis, comes with <laughs> the same boring old message do more with less. Um, but it's essential, isn't
0: it? It's absolutely if we're sitting with growth rates, I, I think Nana said that the growth rates would be about 1.4%. From, the, from
1: a forecast in February this year, Treasury was anticipating mm-hmm. we could get growth of 2.7%. Um, everybody else has downgraded our growth prospects to about one4 And yesterday, the Treasury caught up with that forecast and agreeing to one4 is probably the best we're going to see this year.
0: And, you know, Bruce… We're at the bottom of a commodity cycle. We've had our run on it. We didn't capitalize on it as much as we could. We also have a country that, frustratingly, when I speak to entrepreneurs, they keep on asking me a question that I can't answer. And the question is, what is the economic path and vision for our country and what direction are we going in? And I always revert back to the national development plan, but it's so hard to see where it's being implemented, if it's being implemented, but it is being implemented isn't it? Piecemeal, yes. Yeah, here and, and there. And there's a
1: lot of... There's a lot so of, there's a lot of frustration that's
0: creeping out of that.
1: But I did with Zulu on the radio earlier this week, the new minister for, for small business, and she talks a good talk. I was pretty uplifted by the time I'd finished speaking to her, but I, I was left with a, a sense of unease that um, although she has every best intention of the world, she wants to help liberate particularly small black business in South Africa, which needs every bit of help that it can get. Um, she doesn't have... An awful lot of authority um, to wield. Not certainly not at this stage.
0: You know, when we spoke about the new ministry being established about seven, eight, nine months ago, one of the risks that we identified would be: we have the DTI, we have Department of Economic Affairs or, or Development, and we had the Finance Ministry. How is small business going to carve a niche out of those three? players where will budget come from what policy powers would be allocated and still with an individual who is without a doubt committed to small business certainly feisty clear thinking on it and very driven she has been unable to carve out the budget and Mm -hmm. unable to carve out the policy environment that she needs to make so what she wants to create and we just need to sit by and watch how that She needs needs to do more with less. She needs to do more with less. And, you know, it's so interesting because if if you recall the discussion we had, it was probably about six, seven weeks ago. You know, whenever it comes to policies around small business, and I look at what's happening in Europe where we work with a number of entrepreneurs in those environments. So in Germany, you're sitting with the Germans who own the whole of the European economy in truth. They're at the top of the pile. And when you're in that environment, you have a certain amount of confidence and drive and boldness about you. Yep. The German entrepreneurs I'm working with, especially in the tech space, are saying, but hang on. you know, Here we are. We see loads of opportunities within the EU. We have a lot of say, leverage, and capability within the EU. But the cost of developing technology in Germany is expensive. So let's go to another part of the EU where the policies are different and we can get that technology developed cheaper. They establish themselves in Greece. They're getting the technology developed cheaper. And then Greece, which has no IP protection policies, sees that technology being lifted out of Greece and taken into London specifically, where the policies over there are supporting private individuals to fund new technology companies. At the end of the day, entrepreneurs flow like water. They will continue to flow. If you're not flowing, you're evaporating or stagnating. Whatever policy environments put in place, people will work with or without, they will just yeah. they will continue to build their businesses.
1: Five things we can do to do more with less.
0: Okay, let's break up a business into three big chunks. The first chunk is money in. The second chunk is money out, mm-hmm. and then the final chunk is money used. If we look at money in, in effect, Bruce, we're looking at two areas of the business that we should be focused on. The first is your customers, and then the second are the products that you're developing, the products and services that you're developing. If we're looking at your customers, the one thing that will stick in tough times, in a recession, in a slow, stagnant economy, is where you have a relationship with the customer that isn't exclusively based on price. In other words, you have a relationship where you are solving a problem for them and they have a good experience with that problem being solved. And very often when I speak to entrepreneurs and I say, what do you do? The short answer always lands up being, I am trying to be everything to everyone and I've landed up being nothing to anyone. If that's the position of your business today, if that's where you are, when things get tougher and people get tighter with their purses, you're probably going to lose out because you don't have a relationship that leaves a real impact. Yeah. So the first area to look at is who is your customer, what is the problem they've got, and what is your solution, Mm -hmm. and can you, Bruce, quantify it? Because if you can't give a quantification to the problem you're solving, how are you going to maintain the argument that you need me even though things are tough out there?
1: No, absolutely right. But when it comes to then, I mean, that's the money in, of course, you've got your products and services, you've got to keep those unique, you've got to um, ensure that you're doing, delivering those products and services better than anybody else. But then it comes to money out. And money out is the tricky one because um, so often you are a victim of price push. You are the victim of higher transport costs, higher fuel costs. The post office goes on strike. and You've now got to use couriers rather than the postal system. All of that stuff makes it very difficult to control expenses.
0: It does, especially if you don't have decent bookkeeping behind it. If you don't know how you're spending your money and you don't know what you're spending your money on, because it does eventually become fairly nebulous in the end, Mm -hmm. it's very hard to split out money out in two areas. In the first instance, if I'm buying something that's a pure commodity, then you know to always revisit price on the things that you're buying that are pure commodities. So it might be bandwidth, it might be insurance, it might be this pen or paper, whatever the case is. If that is the instance, every six months, put it in your calendar I'm going to revisit price, and I'm going to check out in the marketplace for specials in those instances. Let that become a habit. It's so easy to let it slip by.
1: And we, and we should be doing it in our personal life. Uh, on, yeah, on, we on certainly everything. should. We, we, we certainly should because, I mean, our personal budgets are getting stretched all the time, and the, the financial sector is innovating all the time. The guys are c- trying to cut each other's throats all the time in terms of price. And Provided you know in a crisis you'll get paid out, why not buy insurance on price?
0: And you absolutely should, because ultimately, there's always one underwriter at the end of the day, or two or three underwriters with a whole lot of brokers in between. So it is something that you can't use. The next thing, if you're buying something that adds real value to your business, then Bruce, the thing that I always find absolutely amazing, when small businesses work with big business customers, I'm always amazed at how big businesses procure from small businesses. If big businesses change their view on small businesses and turn around and said hang on, I know I'm not a small business myself. I might just be the procurement boss in this business. But if I'm working with an entrepreneurial supplier, typically I hear that entrepreneurs bend over backwards to serve. I'm going to go to that entrepreneur and say, what can you do to provide me with even more value than you currently do? The amount of innovation and ideas I find with entrepreneurs who are supplying big businesses with services that aren't able to Implement those big those 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 innovations and those value adds, Bruce, is huge. Work with suppliers on a more partnership orientated basis and you can be surprised what you will get for the yeah. same price you pay. Uh,
1: and it, and it, it is about partnership. It is about relationships. I mean, tell me more then as to how we can do more with less because it, it's an absolutely crucial skill as we go towards 2015 and we may see some relief in the petrol price. We may see interest rate increases pushed out a little bit if the oil price behaves, if in food play, price inflation can be kept, under, uh, kept in check for a bit longer. We've got a bit of breathing space, but you've got to get into the habits before things do go awry, and they could very well go awry in 2015.
0: Okay. So let's look at two things how do we use our money and then let's look at what you've just mentioned now one or two habits that you can develop really good habits so how do you use money one of the biggest expenses in most businesses are going to be the people you employ salaries yeah yeah salaries very much so and i'm often amazed when i listen to certain entrepreneurs turn around and say i need to find someone to do this job for me and i say okay define the job and all of a sudden it's a mouthful of teeth and in my view I think the only time you ever employ somebody is if you understand why you're employing them and can you measure their performance. And what that means, Bruce, is that you've got to create this thing called a business system. Yeah. You've got to identify the activities of the job, put them into a sequence and understand how to measure the performance of that sequence.
1: But in a small business, aren't you meant to be a jack of all trades and a master of all of them as well?
0: Yeah, that's if you are the owner of the small business. But ultimately, you want to move away from being a small business because very, very few small business owners that I've met intend to run small businesses. Most of them are starting with small businesses, growing bigger businesses. If you can employ the right people to do the right thing at the right time at the right price, you're already winning a massive, massive battle because the paying of a salary is so difficult to measure in terms of a return. And it's one of the areas that are very, very especially in South Africa with the labor laws that we have over here, you've got to employ very cautiously, you've got to manage very actively, and then you've got to assess whether you're getting a return or not in that environment. Without employing people to run a system and simply employing people to do a job, it's impossible to get right. Yeah,
1: no, absolutely right. So it's about managing that, uh, the cost of salaries, but not only the cost of salaries, but ensuring that the salary is utilized in the most efficient way possible. That yeah, you want a return
0: from, on investment on that salary.
1: That is, it's, a, it's a productive asset rather than a drain on the business.
0: Absolutely right. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about some good habits to develop. There we go. Now. And good habits mean you don't only think about them, but you turn them into behavior. The first is you need to move from being a perfectionist to a completist. And there's a big difference between the two. I do love it. (laughs) So the perfectionist, and everyone needs to be a perfectionist if you're going to start a business because you need to care to that degree and that level. But there's a big difference between providing a 90% fantastic service as opposed to 110% fantastic service that extra 20% you'll never get a return on investment on
1: and i want to explore this in more detail because <laughs> i remember the first time anybody said this to me it was a consultant one of the big consulting firms and we were talking about supply chain management which is not one of the most exciting uh, topics in the world but one thing they said that stuck to me was operate at 90% you won't the cost of achieving the next 10% will take cost you as much time and effort and tears and pain and anguish as the first 90 will cost and also, if you're operating at 110, you can never be better.
0: Exactly right.
1: So go at 90 and occasionally wow, and it'll make your customer feel like it's 100%. It's a cynical, deeply disturbing view. But here's a thing. But it's what needs to work. And being a completist, as you put it, get the job done quickly and efficiently, and next time do it slightly better, and your customers will love you.
0: Because here's the reality. If you're a perfectionist, 100% for you or 90% for you, Is probably going to be 20 or 30% better than your competitor if you're a perfectionist. Mm. And that's vital to remember. You can't go the whole hog. You've got to move on to the next gig immediately.
1: But is that why we've got a a really lousy service culture in South Africa? Because people think they're operating at 90%, but they're operating at 32% and 35%. Yeah, well, this is is where
0: benchmarking becomes an important feature. The next thing is… Just
1: don't lie to yourself in the process. Okay.
0: Get into the habit of saying no before you say yes. Nah. Say no. No. No, exactly. No. The more you say no, No. probably the more focused you're going to be on your business. And that's a good place to be. Yeah, very much so. Context? What's a big issue of Warren Buffett's? He says, those who say no generally give me a better return on investment than those who say yes. I'll give you an example. When you're running a business and you're worried about the economy, you have a tendency to be neurotic around cash flow. So whatever a customer wants, you say yes, 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 yes. And before you know it, you've extended your service way beyond the capability of the business to deliver that service, which means, Bruce, you're the only person who can deliver that service. And if you're busy delivering the service yourself, you don't have time to grow your business. You become very, very dependent on that single customer. Sometimes saying no allows you to consolidate what you do, become an expert in that area, and then you can build a business to deliver that as opposed to you delivering it. In a recession, you need time to think. You need time to find new opportunities as long as they're within the core of your business.
1: Pavlo Fatidis from Auric Business Incubator. Sound guidance as always. Be a perfectionist to 90%, but be a completist. Get the job done better than anybody else, more quickly, more efficiently and better. You can always improve on your service next time round, but you're not going to get the business next time if you don't get in there first. Pavlo Fatidis from Auric Business Incubator. Thank you.